How's it everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Fix Show. This is episode number 13 and I want to welcome you and today we have Nadine Swartz in studio. Nadine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So Nadine is from the iLead, well, iLead and the Etel Group, who's part of the Etel Group. And you guys obviously specialize in AdWords and SEO, which is the two Google main products, basically. And I'm very honored to have you here in studio. And before I'm going to introduce you to everybody listening, I just want to tell everybody who's listening that this show is sponsored by the Digital School of Marketing. If you are interested in learning more about becoming a digital marketer, maybe you want to further your career in the digital marketing industry, you can have a look at digitalschoolofmarketing.co.za. Their courses are accredited internationally and locally. And if you are a subscriber to this podcast, you stand a chance of winning your very own digital marketing course valued at 11,500 rand. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast and the winner will be announced on the 31st of August. Awesome. Back to our guest, Nadine. Thanks again for coming through, sitting in traffic like four hours. Um, really appreciate you making your way over here. No, I'm teasing. Um, from my side, welcome. Maybe you just want to introduce yourself and maybe chat a little bit about iLead and what you guys do. Sure. Thank you, Andrea. Yeah, as you've mentioned, I'm Nadine Swartz. I work in business development for iLead et al. And I also work in putting strategic partnerships together like this one. <laughs> Um, iLead Etal is a full-service digital marketing agency. Um, we've been around since the year 2006, so in October we will be celebrating our 14th anniversary or birthday, which is very exciting, and I'm hoping that we will be able to celebrate by then. Um, yeah, iLead works and specializes in Google marketing, so specifically search engine optimization and the Google Ads or Google AdWords, as it's more famously known, um, and working across that suite of products to um, bring effective results to our clients. And yeah, we are a Google Premier Partner. That essentially means that we are have a very close partnership with Google and that we continuously work with them and with their support on our clients' accounts to show the best results possible. Yeah, awesome. And I think, you know, Google is playing such a big role in digital marketing these days. I think it's about the average of 80% of every dollar goes mm. to either Google and Facebook. Mm. Majority is going to Google still at the moment. And Facebook is very close on their heels because they've got Instagram, um, obviously, as an ad product as well. So with that said, like I think people sometimes don't necessarily understand how big Google really is when it comes to advertising. Is there any stats that you could potentially share with people, maybe those listening, you know, in terms of how many people in South Africa are on Google, the searches, the volumes, just put things in perspective to how big Google really is locally. Yeah, so um, the stats actually came out recently for 2020 or in January, so up into 2020. Um, yeah, so we've actually definitely seen it exponentially grow over the past couple of years, not only Google, but within Google Mobile as well. And as we know, South Africa has some of the highest mobile rates in the world. Um, when it comes to Google, the majority of our population obviously uses this as a search engine. Um, speaking under correction, but it's about 95% of searches that do take place within South Africa are on Google versus its counterparts like Yahoo and Bing. So it definitely is the, the most predominant, pre predominant search engine in yeah, the country. I think it's safe to say mm -hmm. that Google is definitely the most popular. I think the latest stats I saw was Bing being at like 20% of the market and then the competitor after Bing was like at seven percent or something, and then Google's got obviously like eighty or ninety. Oh, sorry, like seventy something <laughs> odd percent, or if it's not close to eighty percent or more, mm. um, ridiculous. I think you mentioned Google Mobile. What are you referring to? Is that a specific product, or you're saying people using Google on their mobile devices? Is that what you were saying? People using Google on their mobile devices. So if we look at international markets, um, those rates are somewhere in the sixty percent. The South African mobile rates are close to 96%, which is staggering. So it just makes it so much more important for us as advertisers to ensure that we always follow a mobile-first strategy. So, yes, what I'm referring to is the amount of searches taking place on Google, and almost 96% of those people do so on their mobile phones. Wow, that's massive. Is there any reason why there's such a big difference locally compared to in other countries? I think there might be a couple of reasons, but the biggest one is probably... Um, 
I watched this about two years ago, but if you look at the European markets, the average person has 2.6 devices. Oh, okay. So basically between two and three. So let's say a cell phone, a laptop, and a smart TV, for example. Whereas mm. within South Africa and Africa as a whole, the average person has between one and two devices. So if you have only one device that device is likely to be a mobile phone. So yeah. I think it's also just a case of many people not having a choice what they want to use to browse the internet. Yeah, if you're going to choose between a mobile device and a laptop, you're going to choose a mobile device. Exactly. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, in terms of Google and some of the you know benefits of it in terms of advertising, and I think that's quite a big thing purely because a lot of people don't necessarily know what you can do on Google as a business that can help you advertise your products or services. And I know there's the organic side, and I think this is a, one of the biggest misconceptions people usually have. Um, they would say, how do I improve my rankings? I want to run ads to improve my rankings, but hold on, that's actually two different things. Mm. So maybe if you will, maybe just explain the difference between the organic side of Google and then also then the paid side of Google maybe. Yeah, of course. I chat to a lot of people who refer to SEO services as the collective. So that's an important distinction to make. So when it comes to the organic side of Google, so we call these organic rankings or natural rankings, or I, I like using the word earned rankings because that's essentially what it is. Uh, these are really rankings and coming up on that first page of Google because you've earned it. What I mean by earning is really putting the work into optimizing your website according to Google's best practices and what Google finds um, most optimal uh, for their clients to obviously find. When people search on Google, Google is obviously very known and has built a very good reputation on giving you the results that you want that is accurate, relevant, um, and yeah, as much information as possible. So they need to make sure that the websites that they rank on the first page of Google obviously adhere to those, um, those requirements. So in order to improve those rankings, there are certain factors on the website itself that need to be in place. We call this on-site optimization. Um, considering a lot of elements, which we're not going to go into detail now. I, I think the last time I checked, there was over like 210 There's different ranking factors. <laughs> I mean, there's probably more than that now. But if I start listing them, we're going to have to stay there the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, so obviously the on-site optimization side of it. And then there's also the content generation. Content plays a very big role in ranking organically. The more fresh, relevant um, content you produce and load onto your website and optimize for Google, the more there is for them to take into consideration when crawling your page and deciding where to index it. Um, on the other side, as you've mentioned, we've got the paid side, um, namely Google Ads or AdWords, as most people call it. This is Google's paid advertising platform where advertisers can pay to come up on Google across um, the multitude of networks um, to obviously show their ads. This is the paid site. So what I usually tell my clients is that SEO or search engine optimization working on your organic rankings is more of a long-term strategy. Mm. As I've said, it's earned. You really have to put the work in. But in the long term, it really does uh, provide a very big amount of value. Whereas where Google Ads is more of your short term, obviously you can do it in the long term, mm. but the results that you see there are more immediate. So tell me, in terms of the SEO, you mentioned long term. For those listening, what does that really mean? Is there like a, like a time frame that you're comfortable providing people with or...? The famous question. <laughs> yeah, so when it comes to SEO, I don't think there's a specific time frame, but let's say, I mean, most, um, most sites, again, there are a very wide range of elements to consider and how long it's going to take you to get onto the first page of Google. But on average, we can say between four and nine months to really start seeing optimal results and to see your rankings mm. climb properly. Um, one of the biggest factors that in, uh, influences this, obviously, the competitors in your space. The more competitors you have also doing SEO, and especially if they've been doing SEO for a lot longer than you, the longer it's going to take you to, let's say, catch up with them. Mm. Um, the less competitors in that space, the easier it's going to be to get onto that first page of Google. Yeah, I know, for sure. And I think, you know, people are people who are in competitive industries, it is a, they have a tough time ranking organically, but that's why, you know, there's an ad side to Google. It's yeah. like a tap that you can turn on. Like if you want to start running campaigns, you go in, you set it up. Obviously, you either have an expert doing it or an agency or you can try and do it yourself, which we see a lot of people do try. And it's a matter of like just 
pressing play. Well, you have to link your credit card and then obviously you're allowed to play the game. And that's what it comes down to. And in terms of the paid side of Google, is there an exact, well, no, sorry, not exact, but is there an estimate number of people that you could potentially reach with this ad product? Um, Obviously, it depends on industry, but currently across uh, South Africa, do we know how many people we can reach, you know, if we had to spend money on Google? What is the potential reach at least? Very vast number. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, Google actually released the other day it can reach over a billion people currently globally. And this is across not only search, but especially looking at Google Display. Hmm. Google really has a very big amount of assets. So we should also just keep in mind these are not only the ads coming up or coming onto the first page of Google when someone searches certain keywords. There are Gmail ads coming up, also just expanding that reach phenomenally. The Google Display Network covering a multitude of different websites across the web. And then, of course, YouTube, which is currently the second largest search engine in the world following Google itself. Yeah, and I think the the biggest question people have in their minds is like, why should I advertise on Google and why, you know, is it for me, is it better for me to advertise on social media? Because occasionally it might be cheaper or is it a situation where, you know, I should just spend all my money on Google. And I think that, that's a very great answer there because there's a lot of elements that you have to consider. But the, the thing that we can maybe dissect is what is the biggest difference between a platform like Google and a platform you know, like Facebook? Mm-hmm. And I think in my mind, usually I say the one is you use to create intent where it will be social media and the other one you would use to actually target people who have existing intent. I don't know, is that correct? What do you think? It it is correct, yeah. So when you look at a platform like Facebook, it's very, very good for awareness. And of course, if you have your audience targeting correct, it can really help drive leads as well. With Google, it is a very high intent platform, especially if we have a look at Google search. If someone is going to Google search, if we translate this back to the sales funnel, they are either in the consideration or the purchase phase. So if they are actively searching and doing research, they have a very high intent towards that product and service. So we do tend to see um, much higher conversion rates on Google search versus social media. But I think it's very important, and I think this is why they call it the marketing mix. Hmm. It's very important to take into consideration that you cannot always put all your eggs in one basket. So each one of these platforms have their own their own benefits and it's important for a brand to take that into consideration and I mean this is also I think where A-B testing comes in not only doing A-B testing uh, amongst different ads on Google itself but testing different platforms um, against one another and seeing which audiences respond best to which platform um, so at the end of the day I think both of them definitely have their space but I think that's the biggest difference between the two. Yeah for sure and I think you know social is quite powerful like you said in terms of building a brand because people can engage you can engage back you can have conversations it's not always that possible to do on a platform like google however on google you know that if you obviously you've got your keywords and all that stuff dialed in which we'll talk about a little bit later Mm -hmm. your strategy dialed in at least then you are targeting people who are we call them warm or hot buyers like people who are really interested people go there to search for example red nike running shoes so if you had red Nike running shoes on your online store, you can make it show up to the person who obviously wants to buy them right now. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about the different ad products that Google has. And I mean, this changes, you know, quite a lot. Over, this has changed quite a lot over the last couple of years. Google's obviously growing and they're launching new features probably every couple of years, if not every couple of months. But some of the most popular ones, and maybe if you want to mention them and just explain to them how they work and and what benefits they are to the companies using them. Mm, I think the most popular one is obviously Google Search. Um, Under Google Search is also a product that I personally find very exciting. It was launched a couple of years ago, Google Shopping. Um, Yeah, Google Shopping is great. Um, Then we've got Google Display, which consists out of the um, Google Display Network and a multitude of different websites that that covers as well as YouTube video marketing, which not a lot of people actually know for under the Google suite of marketing products. Um, And just an interesting fact, Google actually bought YouTube quite Mm. a couple of years ago, which is why it falls under the same product suite. And in terms of search, um, obviously that, like you said, is probably one of the favorite ones because that allows your ad to show up when someone is actually, you know, expressing, expressing intent. But search is quite complicated, I suppose. It's not just someone. It's not just, just something someone can go and, and set up themselves. Like obviously, there's a lot of things that you need to consider. Can we talk a little bit about that and, and really what makes a good search campaign? What what makes for a good and successful search campaign? 
Yeah, I think when it comes to search, there's a bit of a process behind it that a lot of people don't necessarily realize. So to give you an example, if a, if we get a new client that wants to start marketing with us, we go through a process of research first. So there are a couple of factors in search that we need to take into consideration, which is not only the keywords, but putting a list of keywords together, then having a look at how competitive those keywords are in that industry. And what we find is that the less competitive an industry is, the less a client ends up spending. And we use this obviously to identify the kind of budget that a client needs to spend on search. Mm. So we take into consideration the keywords, the regions that the clients wants to focus in. Uh, we can then start building the campaign. I think the, the biggest part of the work comes in, let's say, the two, three months following that. Because what it is incredibly important when it comes to search is not just to set up your campaign and there you go. <laughs> Now you're done. Now we're going to watch the leads coming in. But to continuously work on it and to optimize it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis based on the incredible amount of data that Google actually generates and makes available for us to, to make those decisions on. So optimization is incredibly important. I think that you've mentioned it and you hit the nail on the head just purely because of the fact that I think that's what a lot of people don't do. Is they set it up and they forget it. Exactly. And then they go, oh, this is not working purely because I feel like my brand is not a fit for Google or my product is not a fit for Google, but that's not necessarily the case. It's about optimizing those campaigns and really implementing the right tactics based on what the data is telling you. Mm. And I mean, if we had to consider some of those data points, I think a lot of them would be, and I know you get different types of keywords and you can actually see what keywords people are clicking on. You can actually see which ones are coming in at a, a you know, a, an affordable price, which ones are really expensive. And that's how you can really start optimizing your campaign for the best results, right? Mm, and when it comes to tracking, I think what a lot of people, there's also a misconception is they focus very largely on clicks. Hmm. Clicks are great. We like clicks. However, it doesn't end there. So it's very important to make sure that your tracking is set up properly and that you have defined what you see as a conversion or a goal, which essentially means that action that you want the person when they are on your website, what action do you want them to take? Do you want to grow your database and have them sign up for a newsletter? Is that what you see as the goal? Do you want them to fill in a contact form or request a quote from you? So you have to ensure that you define that goal very clearly and set up your tracking accordingly. Otherwise, um, what we also see quite a couple of times is uh, from campaigns that we either audited or taken over is that there are a lot of goals. Mm. <laughs> Pretty much every action on the website is a goal. Landing on the contact page is a goal. Uh, just looking at some pages is a goal. The trouble with that is it's very good to keep track of those. We call them micro goals and they might differ from one client to the next according to objectives. But what's really important is to make sure that the go those goals are set up correctly because we are, at the end of the day, going to base our optimization decisions on uh, on those on the data. So if the data is showing us that lots and lots of goals are coming in, we might miss certain optimization opportunities at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, before we go any further, I would like to just take a step back. You mentioned goals. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. Maybe can we just quickly explain what a goal actually is and you know, what does that mean to the business? Sure. So a goal might look different from, from business to business. It's completely dependent on what that business is trying to achieve with their online marketing. A goal is essentially an action on a website that is valuable to the client. So as an example, um, as I've just said, if, you are, if your objective for running these online marketing campaigns and driving people to your website is to grow your database, then someone signing up for your newsletter would be a goal and would be set up as a goal. If you are actively trying to drive sales, we would not set up signing up for the database as a goal because that's not what we're after. It's mm. great to have that as a byproduct, but it's not the main uh, objective. Um, yeah, as I've said, if you're driving sales, obviously a transaction on the website would count as a goal. So um, a goal is essentially with that important action that we are after at the end of the day. And in terms of a macro goal, that would be the final, okay, we want a sale. Mm. And you've mentioned earlier micro goals. That will be like these little micro commitments that a mm. customer has to take in order to obviously get to that final goal. So mm. it's almost like these are the things that he has, these are the hoops he has to jump through. He has to see the page. He has to leave his details um, or he has to download the lead magnet, whatever it is, in order to essentially become a sale. Um, exactly. Is that, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Cool, man. And then that's Google search, and we've basically touched on the, the different keywords. There are different types of keywords. Can we maybe just talk about that and give people some understanding? Because it's easy to say, let's focus and go and use keywords on Google. 
but there are different types of keywords. They all have different meanings. Maybe we can dissect that quick. Of course. Yeah. I think when it comes to keywords, it's very important. Um, and I see a lot of people going as broad as they can mm. because the more general the keyword is, the more amount of searches there are for that specific keyword and the more amount of traffic can be driven to the website. However, the danger with this is, is the broader the keyword, the less specific it is, which means that, um, you know, that person could technically not really be looking mm. for what you are selling. So for a, um, a quick example, you use the red shoes example. Now, if someone searches red shoes, that's a very broad keyword. If someone searches red shoes and I am have an online shop, my objective is to get that person to my website to buy my red shoes. However, someone Googling red shoes might be doing a project at university and looking for information on the history of red shoes, mm. <laughs> which is very far from relevant no, and what sure. we are trying to achieve. So, yeah, you have your very broad keywords like that. Um, Within Google AdWords, there are certain ways that we can actually identify these keywords. So we have broad match, which is essentially what I've just described. This is very, very broad. We have our, um, on the way opposite side, exact match keywords. So these are industries that are very niche and very specific. An exact match keywords is essentially saying, if someone searches exactly this, bring up my business. Mm. When it comes to the broader keywords or the broad match modified, very big words today, <laughs> but basically what that boils down to is if someone in their search, search query has these keywords somewhere in what they're searching, bring up my ad. And there's a place for both of these, but again, it just boils down to what that client essentially is trying to achieve. And it comes down to the industry as well. So an interesting example, uh, we had a client selling, um, selling wedding dresses before. So for her, um, obviously the keyword wedding dresses was her best, um, it was her best keyword. It's a very broad keyword that normally would actually try to stay away from, but for her, it, it really performed exceptionally well. However, there was a very big difference between people searching wedding dress and wedding dresses. Oh. And that small change made a very, very big difference. And we noticed that uh, there were a lot of people clicking on both of those. But looking at the actual conversions and people physically making contact with her and requesting quotes, which was the objectives, people searching wedding dresses converted at a much higher rate than people just searching wedding dress. And this is where the optimization of those keywords come in. Yeah. I suppose it's important to also try and figure out what the psychological element is on why that is happening. Like why would someone who's searching dresses instead of dress convert higher? I mean, out of interest, did you guys find out why? Not really. I'm going to use another client as an example. So they were selling a very big lawnmower company, selling lawnmowers. Okay. And this was an interesting point. We had the same situation where we saw on Google that there were very high search volumes. So a lot of people searching lawn mover uh. instead of lawn mower. So we included that into the campaign because yeah. it was important. We like we don't want to lose them just because they accidentally yeah. made a spelling error. But what we found is that the people searching Lawn Mover were still looking for the same product, still acting the same, clicking on the ad, researching on the website, but they weren't converting. And I think what we can bring that um, back to is, you know, the background that those people are from. And there are definitely certain socioeconomic elements that obviously implement their, or influence their behavior online. True. And it's, uh, this is where it becomes, you know, those data analysis becomes extremely interesting mm. when you can find things like this and, you know, really optimize that came to the campaign to that granular level that's why you need someone dedicated to help you with this i suppose sometimes because depending on your budget yes. and a lot of people can do this themselves if you've got the time but i mean essentially if you want to grow a business it's about outsourcing what you're not good at or at least getting the help in and focusing on on the bigger picture right and this can become a full-time job quite easily just 100%. looking at all that data yeah, i have a lot of clients coming to us going i've been doing this by myself for about the last year like it is very time consuming mm. and you're like yes that's we know that's why we do it for you so you're absolutely right i can i can we talked about the psychological element now in terms of how people search online a classic example is the word buy like usually what we would advise um you know, saying like if someone is looking for that red Nike running shoe example that we've mentioned, by just adding the word buy in there, immediately now, if someone is searching buy red Nike running shoes, immediately that person is more inclined to obviously buy it and not necessarily do a research project on it mm -hmm. because otherwise you would have just left the word buy out. Exactly. So that's potentially how you can go about improving, you know, the, the specificity of 
you know, who you're trying to target, I suppose. Absolutely. And also just um, elaborating on the psychological element to that, we had a we had a client whose website, the whole campaign, everything was performing exceptionally well until the person got to the actual phase where they had to fill in the contact form and send it in. And we kept seeing drop-offs. And what we realized there is we actually, someone told us, you know what, in order to send that contact form, the call to action that we were using was the word submit. Mm. In that specific industry and the specific person who would make use of that website, we actually found that they saw submit as a negative word. Oh. It doesn't mean that they saw the submit button went, I will not submit. Yes. It's just, it's a psychological process that happened that made them hesitate and essentially lost that client. So just by literally changing that one word, we actually saw their um, their conversion rates increase drastically, which was uh, very interesting. I suppose the word submit can be quite intimidating. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this is obviously the call to action that you guys obviously improved and the psychological, this need to find the psychological, I would say, element that would allow the campaign or the call to action, whatever it is, to, you want to remove psychological barriers that is creating conflict between the customer visiting the site and you converting that customer in, or that visitor into a customer. Exactly, and that barrier sometimes it, may, it might not be a word. A lot of times we see them being colors as mm. well. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is like you mentioned earlier about being specific with your keywords because everybody wants clicks and everybody wants traffic. And uh, traffic. I think the one thing we've noticed is that a lot of people want traffic, and if you have to ask them, do you want less traffic and more sales? Like usually, obviously, people say, well, I'd rather want more sales, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't make sense. The equation doesn't add up when you tell people you're going to have less traffic, but you can have more sales because everybody thinks more traffic equals more sales. Exactly. We had a client in the online learning space where we went through this with them and it was quite an interesting journey. So we started running their campaigns and the objective or the goal for them was a low cost per lead. So for every lead coming in, it must have cost them a certain amount to bring that lead in. And that was the main focusing factor along with volumes of leads. They had a KPI to bring in a certain number of leads per month. Within the first three months, it was quite high, but we reached it and mm. it was fantastic. And within that um, that status meeting with the client, they were ecstatic. They were like, wow, you guys are amazing. And I actually just brought her back because, um, and this is also another very, very important part is actually recording and knowing do those conversions actually and by conversion I mean that action on the website actually translate into sales is it bringing your return on investments and what we found with them is let's call it 3,000 leads came in but the of those 3,000 people submitting a contact form for an online online course very few of them actually ended up purchasing a course and becoming a client mm. So we then had that conversation with the client and said, we're going to make some adjustments to the to the campaign. You're going to get less leads, but we want to give you more sales. And we went through that process, and I think it was a very good educational process for the client also to go through to realize the number of leads is not necessarily the be-all and end-all. It's about the percentage of those leads that you convert into business because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we are spending money online generating these leads in order to see a return on our, our investment and to make more money than we're spending at the end of the day. Yeah, it's nice just to have a low lead cost. And for example, if you're paying 50 rand a lead, that's great, or 20 rand a lead, that's amazing. But if only a one out of 100 leads convert, mm. you don't, you're actually paying 500 rand, for 5,000 rand a sale. Mm. So essentially, it's very important to do the numbers there, I suppose, as well. Exactly. Cool, man. And then Google Shopping, you've mentioned, obviously, uh, is the second ad product that Google has. It's a little bit different than Search from what I understand and what you've mentioned, but also very similar. So it's different but similar. Maybe walk us through that. Yeah, so Google Shopping is, as I've mentioned earlier, something that I'm recently very excited about, especially with the boom in e-commerce that we've recently seen, especially in our country. Google Shopping is part of Google Search. So what that means is if someone searches a, go uh, a keyword mm -hmm. on Google, Google Shopping also comes up on the Google search results page. So just to give an idea of the order, your Google Shopping ads will come up right at the top of the page before any other ads or organic results. So it comes up right at the top. It's got a picture of the product that is available, the price of that product, as well as the landing page or the URL that you will land on when you click through to that page. So it really is just a lot more, it's very similar to Google search, it works in the same way. However, it is a more visual, more detailed um, 
search results, essentially. You can actually see the product that you're searching and you can actually decide if it's for you or not versus exactly. Google searches being text, I suppose. And the reason why I'm so excited about this product is as I've, I think it launched in 2015 already, but in recent years, it's really come out with um, additional features that have just made it so much more effective. So when you have an e-commerce um, an e-commerce website, there are a multitude of benefits of running Google Shopping. But as I've said earlier, it's important to have a mix of them. So Google Shopping actually also is, um, even though it's part of the Google search network, it does actually cost you a little bit less to advertise on Google Shopping. So it is a little bit more cost effective as well. Do you think it's less in terms of costs purely because of the fact that it's a new ad product and a lot of people probably haven't jumped on it yet, so it's less competitive? Is that maybe a reason? Um, exactly. So what we've also seen, I think it was the year 2017, um, I got my first client onto Google Shopping. It was very exciting, and that's exactly what we saw. And that was the first thing that I noted for them is you are here you are killing it. It's going fantastically well. And there are very few of your competitors that are actually here to challenge you on it. And you're absolutely right. The less competitors there are, the, hmm. the less it obviously costs. I mean, I'm not, I don't think that I'm the most technically inclined person in the world. Like, I mean, I figure things out for myself. I'm probably above average because I've grew up with tech around me, but I find Google shopping campaigns quite sophisticated to set up. I don't know if it's changed, like usually I need help from someone to, to confirm that it's 100% correct. What is your experience? You are correct. So uh, we have actually recently been hosting some e-commerce session with uh, Google and our account manager in Ireland. And one of the things that he said to the clients, he took them through the process and then he said, but don't worry, you don't have to do it yourself. So I mm. think with something like that, it really is very important to have someone who knows how to set it up to at least help you or manage that for you. I think the difficult part with the setup um, doesn't necessarily come in the ads themselves. It's getting you set up on Google Shopping because there are a range of requirements that your website has to adhere to. So in a very easy sense, you have to have a fully e-commerce enabled website. So uh, some companies use e-commerce capability to, for example, add a product to cart and then request a quote. So in that case, it will not work. It needs to, you need to be able to go onto the website, select a product, add to cart, and buy it there. pay for the product and have it delivered to you. So it needs to be fully e-commerce enabled. You need to have um, your e-commerce um, policies and stuff on the website that are also in accordance to Google's best practices. So there are a couple of requirements that you need to um, that you need to fulfill. And then of course, you need to get connected and set up your Google Merchant Center which is another another tool that I like using big words, but I won't even be able to do it myself. That's why we've got the very clever Google experts at the office who know how to do this for our clients. But you're correct, it is a bit of a process. I, I feel like the merchant center of Google is like the back-end, back-end of Google. <laughs> it's almost in the dark web. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that way because it's, I mean, again, like, you know, you've got experts doing this for you. And when we were still focusing on AdWords as a product, Hence, we have the relationship with you guys because you're the specialists in, in doing this right now. That's one of the reasons why I'm relieved, purely because having this partnership with, with iLead is that we can hand this over and know that it's taken care of and mm -hmm. I sleep a little bit better at night. Um, in terms of, you mentioned the display ads. Maybe walk us through a little bit about that, the capabilities and its benefits. Mm. So the Google Display Network, as I've mentioned earlier, is, is really very big. It reaches billions of people on a daily basis across different websites. So... When we start with display for a client, again, one of the common questions that I get or a common misperception is that we select or the only option that is available is selecting the website you want your ad to show on. So that is correct. You can do that. We call that placement. So it's physically placing and intentionally placing your ad on a specific website. So for example, we can say for this client, we want to place this ad on News24 as a site specifically. But this is not the only option that is available. Mm. So something that we find often working, um, often most of the time, working a lot better is using Google's audience targeting, which really is very sophisticated. So there are different ways that you can target these audiences. The most common ones that we use are called um, custom intent or in-market audiences. Essentially what these two boil down to is Google using its, its extensive range of platforms um, between Google Maps, Gmail, Google Search, YouTube, um, and all of these, even the Play Store, to identify intent in people. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we're doing is saying, Google, here is an ad for a client. 
show this ad to everyone who has shown that they're in the market for this product or service. So that can either be this person has in the last week or two weeks actually searched for this product or service on Google search. And by doing that, it has triggered an intent or it has triggered um, the fact that it's in the market for that specific product or service. Or using custom intent audiences, target people who are generally on Google, their behavior shows us that they are showing intent or interest in a specific topic or mm. theme. And by doing that, we can we don't necessarily target the website specifically, but we are shifting focus towards the person and the target audience that we are trying to target. And where they are seeing this ad really becomes irrelevant. It's about the person itself. And the targeting methods that I've just mentioned also very similar on YouTube. So Google Display and YouTube actually work very, very well together to, to do that. The, the one thing about Display, I mean, this was probably like five, six years ago, I realized that the amount of attention that you actually get, because it's one thing to add. I mean, traditionally, this product is known as banner ads, I suppose. Like <laughs> yes. everybody knows it as banner ads. <laughs> so I still sometimes refer to it as banner ads. But essentially, everybody wants their banner online. Like everybody wants their logo and their product or their the features, their benefits or the price or the promotion. Everybody wants it online and they want people to see it. But how effective is it really? And I, and, and, and I think essentially one of the, things I want to discuss is now Google has put a lot of time and effort into improving these targeting capabilities because I feel the traditional way of running these banner ads has almost can become less effective purely because because people have banner blindness, which is an actual term I think now these days in, in, the, in the digital marketing industry because there's just so much going on. When you go on Facebook, you've got stuff in your news feed. Facebook is a digital billboard, if you think about it. The, the news feed is like the highway. And you're just basically scrolling past all these billboards. When you go online, you get bombarded with pop-ups and all kinds of banners. And I think this is the one thing where Google says, like, we realize that these ads are not necessarily as effective as we want them to be. And, and that's how they started improving these targeting capabilities. And today it's a little bit more effective than it used to be, right? Correct. Look, Google Display will always largely be to obviously reach people and to reinforce your brand to them. I'm just going to go back to something I said earlier where it's very important to not only make use of one platform, but to have your platforms work together towards the same goal. And this also just goes back in terms of setting up and tracking and making sure that these platforms can actually talk to one another. So that Google Display is not just showing a random banner to a random person, but showing it to someone who has on one of the other platforms indicated that intent. Another thing that we need to take into consideration is something we call attribution. So what attribution essentially means is if that goal that you have set on your website has been achieved through Google Ads, which one of those platforms and which campaign is that goal attributed to? Mm. So which one of these channels is responsible for bringing that goal in? And what we see a lot of times, and it's also the way that you need to set it up, is you can, for example, set up that goal attribution as last click. So what that means is the last channel or the last banner or search ad that the person engaged with before they converted will essentially get the credit for the conversion. And a lot of times with this model, we see Google search mm. getting that. Um, so to use an example, someone might see a Google display banner and two days later go, oh, what's that company I saw the other day? Go search it on Google search, click on the search ad and convert. So with a last click attribution, basically it's showing us that Google search gets all the credit, not knowing that that's not where the process began. So we do use something called time decay. So essentially what that means is taking into account that it's not just because of one specific channel or one specific ad that that conversion came in. And a lot of times what we do see, and I'm using the sales funnel again, mm. is you need all these, all these channels and all these guys to help you. And that's a lot of times where Google Google Display comes in to drive that person down the funnel in um, yeah, in collaboration, obviously, with Google Search. You know how I see all these ad products as like a soccer team? Exactly. That's exactly how I'm, how I'm imagining it, yeah. So essentially, if I just had to put Display by itself in the team, mm. you know, it's not necessarily going to win any games just purely because of the fact that there's no support and that will allow him to score a goal. But essentially, if you're putting, you know, you're, you're implementing the search and you're doing your, the shopping, 
you essentially have a striker that can score the goal, mm-hmm. aka your conversion, and display potentially being a midfielder that would allow you to, you know, create the opportunity to scoring that goal. So it's that's, this whole team needs good, to yeah. work together, I suppose, at the end of the day. Exactly, one hundred percent right. And one of the most famous terms when it comes to Google Display is remarketing which is so incredibly important for any strategy. So essentially what remarketing is, is if someone goes onto Google search, searches for red shoes, um, Superbulous comes up with their range of red shoes, the person clicks on it, goes to Superbulous website, has a look at their fantastic red shoes, and decides, you know what, I'm not going to make the purchase now, I first want to go have a look at what Zando and all the other platforms have to offer. They leave the platform, and immediately they then start seeing ads for that product that they just viewed but mm. did not buy. And this is one of the um, one of the places where Google remarketing or Google display comes in very, very handy and works very well with Google search to get that person back, obviously, to the website and to convert. And the reality is that uh, most of the businesses that we work with are, n- are not the kind of business that this person is going to Google the word click on it and immediately buy the first thing that they see, they're going to leave and they're going to go do their research first. And what we want to do through Google Display is make sure that um, that we keep that brand top of mind throughout the research process and essentially what the goal is to get them back to the website to complete that action. Hmm. I suppose most companies are just not at a level where everybody knows who you are. So there's a certain distrust Mm. I need to figure out who you are first. Yeah, I saw the ad and I clicked and I saw the red running shoes or whatever I want to buy, but I still don't know who you are and I don't know if I can trust you. And from what I'm hearing you say is that display advertising is a great way to stay top of mind. It is. Um, Something that you mentioned earlier is banner blindness. Mm. (laughs) First time I'm hearing it, but it makes perfect sense. (laughs) And yes, it happens. So if you've got a bunch of banners popping up on a website, it's very easy to actually not pay attention to any of them. But um, this is where it's very important, and this translates back to when it comes to YouTube ads as well, is this is why it's incredibly important to make sure that the ad you are showing is relevant Mm. to the audience that are receiving it. So, for example, if I search for red shoes and I I now go onto a website and uh, an ad pops up for red shoes, I'm more likely to pay attention for it because I'm actually in the market for it. Yeah. If you show me a banner for something that is completely random that I haven't shown any intent towards, I'm obviously more likely to ignore it. And this is where it really becomes the advertiser's responsibility to make sure that the tar- the audience that are being targeted and the way they are being targeted is as accurate as possible. No, for sure. And it, and it makes sense at the end of the day. So in terms of YouTube, you've touched on it now. Maybe walk us through all that, the, uh, YouTube's capabilities and obviously there's a ton of benefit there as well in terms of advertising. Absolutely. I think YouTube as a platform has really grown in the past couple of years. It used to really largely be a platform um, for video marketing and for brand awareness. In the past couple of years, Google has really upped their game in this, is this area, especially with bringing out their product TrueView for Action which essentially means that they are now enabling people to not just view ads and to view brands on YouTube, but to actually take action on the platform. 55% of people who search for a product or service on Google search end up going to YouTube to either watch a demo video or a review or whatever that might be, but to do further research on YouTube itself. So that 55% is incredibly important Mm. because, again, YouTube is your very bad at soccer and I'm trying to make up a position (laughs) and I don't know any of them. (laughs) No, but it's it's definitely one of the key players, one of the VIPs, I suppose. Absolutely. So just imagining someone going onto Google search, searching for ski equipment. Yeah. And then two days later, they go onto YouTube to watch a random video that's got absolutely nothing to do with ski equipment. However, before that video plays, an ad comes up for ski equipment. Mm. That person was just searching for it. They have intent towards it. So chances are they're going to watch the video. (laughs) Yeah. And secondly, just coming back to to Trivia for Action, that we can actually now add call to action ribbons on the ads themselves. So if he is interested in that specific product, he can click on the call to action that's available on the video, land on the website on the specific page where that product is available. And now we're just making it so much easier using YouTube to actually get people to convert. So I really think that they've taken strides in the past to really um, change YouTube into a channel that was previously viewed basically just for brand awareness into a channel that we can actively include in our mission to bring Mm. conversions and sales to our clients. Yeah, I think one thing people need to 
note is that YouTube is currently the second largest search engine in the world. It is. After Google. And it's owned by Google, so yeah. technically they own the world. 100%. <laughs> well, all the searches in the world, I suppose. And I think exactly. essentially what it comes down to is you have Google search, you've got the organic, you've got the paid side. So if you're doing both, you're increasing the amount of real estate that you have on this platform, technically. You, you're increasing the the probability of someone seeing your business and learning more about your products and services. And then there's YouTube, who's literally the second largest search engine in the world. And the nice thing about YouTube, like you've mentioned, uh, like with Google Shopping as well, it's super visual. People go there to, I mean, before I buy a tech product that you know costs, is going to be a, a significant investment for the business or for myself on a personal level, whatever it is, the first place I go to is YouTube. Hmm. I've done it with every single device I've bought, you know, up until now recently again this exact device that's making sounds in the background is literally the classic example of is this is really something i need i need to understand the reviews the customer feedback how it works what features i can have and yeah you can go read all of that somewhere but it's so so much easier to have someone explain it to you or give you know watch a video that's three minutes as opposed to reading an article that's two thousand words no, exactly. And I think an important thing for YouTube also just to remember is that it really something that really helps um, improve the efficacy in driving engagement on YouTube is firstly, 95% of the videos on YouTube are viewed with sound on. Oh, wow. Which just makes it not only visual. And it's different on Facebook. It's, Actually, it's most very different. And so exactly. on Facebook, most videos are viewed with the sound off. Exactly. And one of the number one rules for doing video marketing on Facebook is to include subtitles mm, for correct. that reason. Because most of the time, if someone is on Facebook, they're probably not in a place where they can loudly listen to a video. However, with uh, with YouTube, that's that's 95%. The industry standard for, for um, audibility and viewability is 66%. Oh, wow. Just to put that into perspective. And... The other thing also is that when it comes to your YouTube, I'm using TrueView, which is your longer form videos, someone has to actually watch 30 seconds of that video before you pay for it. If they skip that ad before 30 seconds, you don't pay for that view. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I think a lot of people will be like, okay, well, I'm only paying if there was some form of value to my business. Yeah. Usually if I say that, people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think people, again... People find those ads annoying most of the time because I look at, you know, my son and I look at my wife when they're on YouTube and I kind of like study people. Like like you, people would study animals, I study people when it comes to their social behavior on these platforms. And the first thing you see when someone's on YouTube, they're just waiting for that skip button. But what I found is that it's usually not the platform that's the problem. It's the advertiser because the ad that you created did not resonate with whomever exactly. is in front of mm -hmm. you. I think it's a combination between that, between creating an engaging ad and again, making sure that if you're showing someone that ad, that they actually have an interest in that. You're yeah. not just, uh, we call it spray and pray. So Correct. not just putting it out, out there and measuring it in how many people can I get to see this? Because at the end of the day, if I come back to you and say 2 million people saw your ad, but how relevant were those people? Yeah. Like, did, did they think, oh, this is a cool ad? Or do, are they actually interested in what you have to offer? Yeah, did they actually engage and were they actually interested exactly. at the end of the day mm. to learn more about the product or service? You know, for example, we actually had a client who we advised a while back. He was running YouTube ads and I actually said, you know, you should create a YouTube ad that actually tells people not to skip this video because I think the first thing people do when they have chosen a video to watch, the second impulse is that you essentially just want to, the first impulse is that you just quickly want to skip this video mm. and then just to get to that second impulse of I want to watch the content that I've just chosen. So we actually, I can't remember if we did it or didn't do it. I'm pretty sure we did. But we actually created like a 30-second video where he goes, whoa, 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 don't skip this ad. I just yes. want to quickly tell you something. <laughs> and um, I, I don't have any stats on, on how well that did, but I do know that the amount of people that view those kind of ads, because it was a case study on the exact same uh, methodology of maybe just getting someone's attention quickly before they skip the ad and, and say something that's going to get them to go, oh, I'll wait for a second and just give you an extra two or three seconds to understand what's actually happening in front of me. Because what happens is most companies start with their logo or they go with this slow intro of a, you know, whatever product. It's like an intro to the building of, the, of the, you know, the company or whatever it is. And those first three seconds, that's the only three seconds you have to really get someone to understand that this is either for them or not. And if it's going to be your company logo, the chances are people don't know who you are, one. If you're, it's going to be the intro of your, your building or their office, the chances are, again, people don't know who you are and who wants to look at property right now when you've already chosen a video that you want to watch. 
So it's getting that psychological element of getting people to interrupting people, but in a way that you're grabbing their attention and then they can decide whether they want to continue down this journey to learn more or whatever you're trying to you know, educate them on. No, exactly. And Volkswagen actually did a similar ad encouraging people. Uh, to click the skip button, which was just as effective because if someone tells me to skip the, to you don't click the, to skip the skip button, then. I'm like, why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to stick around to see, but I think that's why, um, I mean, you can really get creative, not just in terms of the actual video content yeah. that you put on YouTube, but in the way that you have them work with one another. Google uh, or YouTube rather have different um, formats of those videos that you can upload. So I've mentioned TrueView now, which is the longer form one. Mm. Then you also have bumper ads, which is either a six second or a 15 second unskippable ad that plays before a video, those are usually very quick. It's almost okay. just for brand enforcement. And using these two, we call it YouTube sequencing, to also work with one another. So, for example, if you're so showing someone the longer ad and they end up skipping it, next time they come on board, you show them the bumper ad because mm. now you know they don't want to wait around exactly, yeah. <laughs> for your video. Yeah. Kind of like forcing them. <laughs> exactly. Um, look, uh, at the end of the day, I think the, the big question a lot of the SMEs are asking right now is like, how do I know this works? Like, it's awesome to know that I can reach all these people. It's really awesome to know that uh, it's all got all these benefits, but I don't necessarily have the luxury of investing, you know, a certain amount and, and taking that risk. Uh, you know, we have to be wise with our money, uh, and especially in the economic climate that we're in. So is there any case studies that you can potentially share? And I mean, you're welcome not to mention any brand names, but mm -hmm. maybe just sh share some of the insights and successes that you guys have had just to prove that if this model is utilized correctly, then it obviously does work. Sure. Um, I'm going to use an e-commerce example. So this was a client, uh, quite a small business. They were uh, selling kitchen appliances. So for quite a couple of years, they uh, relied heavily on their brick and mortar stores to do this. It's basically what they built the business on. They then decided to build an online platform and with doing that, obviously deploy the services of Google Advertising in order to push this platform. This client started, this was about three years ago, this client started by investing uh, 4,500 Rand per month on Google, which is mm. really not a, a big yeah. amount of money. And with that 4,500 Rand per month, they made an average of 70,000 rand, 70, Rand sales. So okay. I think when looking at the bigger e-commerce um, websites, that's not very big, but looking at the fact that they were mm. brand new, people were not actively searching for them on Google, with a 4,500 Rand investment, we managed to generate 70,000 Rand in sales. However, hmm. this client was not convinced. <laughs> oh, really? They thought that it was organic and people just love their products so much. So what we then actually did is we switched the campaign off for two months and to see what happens. Yeah. So exactly nothing else changed. We just switched off the campaigns, which means that no Google advertising was running. Um, so if people were searching for kitchen appliances, they were not coming up. Um, so with spending nothing on Google Ads, they ended up making 13,000 rand sales oh. um, on average between those two months. Wow, that's a big difference. So I think that was quite interesting to see um, not only the results that we brought, but mm. the lack of results on the on yeah. the other side. And yeah, and that client is still with us today and they are growing exponentially. It's, um, it's really satisfying to see, especially new businesses, come on board and starting the journey with Google advertising and then obviously looking back a couple of years yeah. and seeing how much they've grown. Being cognizant of the fact that you didn't mention their name, but you did mention a starting budget. What are they spending on Google today out of interest? About 20,000 Rand per month now. Okay, so they've gone up about four or five times basically. They have. They're also investing in uh, search engine optimization. And I think that's also helping them quite a lot because I think these two platforms really, or these two strategies really work well together. Mm. And um, I think it's important also to note that you don't necessarily have to choose one of the two. Yeah, and I think this is a great example because everybody would want to invest more if they know they're going to make more, right? Exactly. And I think that's how it works at the end of the day. Start small and if you see results, you can build up from there. And then in terms of a minimum investment when it comes to advice now. So if you had to give advice to a medium to small business, where, how, where do you start? So if someone comes to you and say, look, I'm looking to generate leads or e-commerce sales online. Obviously, there are a lot of elements at play. The business, the model, um, the website, I'm assuming, is also a big factor, which I would like to touch on. Mm. But what kind of budgets? We've mentioned budgets now. What kind of budgets would you recommend for someone starting out and, and you know trying to just test the waters out? So the answer to that question is not very easy. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> 
The reason for that is, um, as I said earlier, it really comes down to the industry that they're in. Mm. And for that reason, if you go onto our website, we do not have set packages. Okay. Purely for that reason. It completely depends on the client's business and very largely the industry that they're in and how competitive that industry is. Mm. When it comes to Google Ads, it works in the form of an auction. So you can imagine the more people who are bidding in the auction, the higher the bids go, the more expensive it is to actually get the product, or in this case, ad space. Um, the less people who are bidding in an auction, mm. the less you can get away with. So it completely depends. So to give you a quick example, um, we had a client the other day that came back at an average cost per click. So what that means is on average, every time someone clicks on their ad, it costs them seven rand fifty. Okay. So we would use that. So we'll do the research and we'll see that you can expect to pay, for example, seven rand fifty per click. Yeah. And we will then work out from there how much do you need to spend on a monthly basis in order to see proper results. Okay. However, we know that, for example, in the insurance industry, people are paying close to, I don't even know what it is now, it's probably even higher. The last time I checked it was about 700 rand. A click. Per click. It is incredibly competitive. Wow. So you can see that there is a very big difference between the yeah. two. So if you're in that industry, you cannot get away yeah. with, the same budget that the person paying around 50 per click can. So that's why that research process is very important. So I wish it was a very clean cut answer, no, that's but perfect. it that's completely fine. depends on the industry. Yeah. It's fine. You know, like, you know if, if you had five grand, based on the example that you've given me earlier and that client that you've mm. mentioned that's grown so nicely, if you were in the insurance space, you would have only gotten five clicks basically. Exactly. And you don't even know how many of those clicks, yeah. if any, would have converted into sales. And yeah. something else that we also take into consideration when identifying that are the regions that you want to focus in. So if you want to compete for keywords within Gauteng, for example, you are going to pay a little bit more than if you want to compete for keywords in Mpumalanga. I can imagine. Yeah. Then lastly, I want to ask a question. What key role does the website really play in all of these, you know, the successes of these campaigns? I'm assuming, you know, with us, we understand that traffic is one thing and the website obviously helps convert that traffic into leads. And obviously with Google, I'm assuming it's exactly the same thing. Like you need to make sure that your site is well-designed. It's up to scratch in terms of, you know, speed and optimization. But yeah, give me some, maybe or those listening, maybe give them some advice on their websites maybe is it is it something that's really going to make a drastic difference if they don't have a you know well designed high performing website any advice would be great yeah yes it would make a big difference so when it comes to the websites I think everything pretty much starts and ends there. So it's incredibly important to make sure that a proper website is in place, not just visually. Um, a lot of times we have clients that visually the website looks absolutely fantastic, but Google is not visual. Mm. Google cannot see your website the way we do. Google is a machine. So we need to make sure that um, what's going on in the website, if you have a fantastic website visually, that that is reflected on the back end. And this is also where search engine optimization comes in. And... Um, yeah, to answer the famous question, should I do Google Ads or search engine optimization, it, it comes back to the website at the end of the day. Mm. So making sure that your website, again, adheres to Google's best practices will ensure not only that you rank favorably, but it actually affects your Google Ads as well. On Google Ads, you okay. get what we call a quality score. Mm. That quality score is essentially a score out of 10, for example, and it bases that score and generates that score based on a couple of different factors, but your website being one of them. If your website is not set up optimally, if it's, it's not um, user-friendly, if it is not mobile-friendly, if it um, takes very long to load, and all of those kind of factors for the website itself, it will actually affect your quality score on Google Ads. What that means is the higher your quality score on Google Ads is, the easier it is to come up in that first position when you are showing ads, and you might actually pay a little bit less um, for those ads mm. because your website and everything is in place. And then, of course, if the person lands, if you want to spend money on Google Ads and the person ends up clicking on the ad, comes to your website, the last thing you want to do is spend the money to get them there just to lose them because you do not have a proper website in place. So the website is really a very, very important factor. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say, it all comes down to the user experience. And Google wants to give every single Google user who's searching a great experience. Mm. And if your website is not going to, 
give them that experience, you're going to get a low quality score, which means you're going to have to pay more to get that specific customer onto your site because Google knows they're sacrificing user experience. They're, sac they're obviously sending this visitor to a site that's not ideal. Um, and yet they don't care too much, but they are going to penalize you for it, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, awesome. So I think from my side, then to close off, thank you so much for coming, Nadine. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you or iLead in terms of maybe asking questions about Google Ads or maybe they want to you know, consider Google Ads as a digital marketing strategy for their business, where do they go and who do they speak to? So you can either visit our website at www.ileadetal.co.za. That is I-L-E-A-D-E-T-A-L. Or you can send an email to info at ileadetal.co.za. I want to thank you so much for coming through. It was really an awesome and a great pleasure to have you in studio. And I think we added a lot of value to those listening today. Thank you so much, well, Nadine. Thank you for having me. It was fun chatting about something that we're both passionate about. For sure. Next time we can maybe just dive into search engine optimization. I think it'll add a lot of value Sounds as well. Sounds good. Thank you again. All the best and have a good one.